0: Let's get down to business. Welcome to Profits and Purpose, a Colorado Business Roundtable production that unapologetically tells the story that business is good through conversations with Colorado's business leaders. Please welcome your host, the president of the Colorado Business Roundtable, Debbie Brown. Hi, this is Debbie Brown. Welcome to the Colorado Business Roundtable podcast, Profits and Purpose. And we're really excited today to welcome Lloyd Lewis, the CEO of Arc Thrift Stores, to our conversation and have gotten to know Lloyd a little bit the last six months, Um, definitely in a pre-COVID environment and excited to hear more about his journey and what he's doing in particular uh, in this new normal. So welcome, Lloyd. Glad to have you on board.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me, and I look forward to our conversation.
0: Your bio is really um, tremendous. You've done a lot of work in the private sector. Um, You've been a a business CFO, among other things. Tell tell me a little more about your journey. How did you end up um, in business, and how did you end up taking over the helmet arc?
1: So on the business side, the private sector side, I've had a number of roles. I was in municipal investment banking with Smith Barney in Philadelphia. I uh, then went back and got an MBA from the University of Chicago. And then I came out to Colorado with IBM as a senior financial analyst, really enjoy Colorado. And from IBM did a series of companies. I was a, a director of finance for a publicly traded medical equipment company. And just prior to ARC was CFO for high tech uh, that was ultimately sold to Micron and very much enjoyed my private sector career and believed I could make a contribution and had a number of financial roles. Uh, my life took a different uh, track uh, in 2003. I had a little boy born with Down syndrome whose name is Kennedy. And uh, because I'm kind of a type A guy, I immediately got involved in scientific research advocacy. I met a neuroscientist at CU at a Coleman Institute dinner. And we sort of partnered up and advocated for scientific research funding in the world of Down syndrome to help people like my son. Uh, From that experience, I met uh, a philanthropist's daughter, Michelle C, whose father, John, founded Stars Encore. And Michelle has a wonderful little girl, Sophia, who's my son's age also with Down syndrome. So we developed a close personal friendship and a close working relationship and uh, worked on scientific research advocacy. My role lasted a couple of years. And unfortunately, the neuroscientist that I met at CU passed away from an aneurysm in late 2004. So I took a hiatus from scientific research advocacy, Uh, Michelle on, and she named the Institute for my friend, Linda Cernick. So there is a Linda Cernick Institute for Down Syndrome Research at Anschutz which has become the world's largest Down Syndrome Research Institute, thanks to Michelle's great work. And from there, I was recruited to the ARC thrift stores where I thought I could take my business skills and help create funding for programs that would help people like my son. So, you know, I've had a wonderful career. I continue to have a wonderful career. And, you know, it's just been very rewarding and a lot of fun. And I began at ARC uh, as CFO, in May '05, became CEO. End of 05, unfortunately, my predecessor had made some poor decisions. And when I got Arc, it was a turnaround. We had backward sales. Sales prior to me were minus three, minus five, minus ten percent, three months in a row. And I then uh, embarked on a turnaround. It took about a year. It took about a year.
0: Wow. Well, and it sounds like it was um, in some ways the culmination of all your business experience to be in a position to, you know, provide kind of a mission-driven uh, service to ARC, not only in terms of turnaround, but in, but in terms of how many people you help. And before we jump into that, Lloyd, tell me how old is how old is Kennedy now?
1: He will be 17 uh, in August. And um, we have had his birthday party uh, for many years, every year at Chuck E. Cheese.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: unfortunately, that may not happen this year. So I'll have some explaining to do. But it turns out my son, Kennedy, and I share a lot of uh, tastes in entertainment and food, etc. So he and I have a great time at Chuck E. Cheese with his friends. And I would have to say his little brother and my wife are a little less excited about Chuck E. Cheese. But for us, it's wonderful.
0: (laughs) It sounds really wonderful. That's interesting. You know, I've gotten to know some of um, Michelle's work as well. And it sounds like combined with yours and it's really put Denver on the map, Colorado on the map, in terms of global Down syndrome research and advocacy.
1: She yeah. created the Global Down Syndrome Foundation. Mm-hmm. And it is the center of Down syndrome research in the entire world. And uh, she's also on my board. And uh, the partnership we've had and the friendship we've had and our goals to improve the world for people with intellectual disabilities, I think, have created a purpose for both of us. Uh, she also had a private sector career prior to uh, her work with Global. And so uh, it's just been a lot of fun to work with Michelle over the years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I met Michelle. We had, a, I think, an event that was a mutually beneficial event with Congresswoman Kathy McMorris Rogers, who I'm sure you know, know out of Washington State. So She um, had
1: a son with Down syndrome.
0: Yeah. You just never underestimate the uh, power of smart, good people coming together to solve problems. So. In some ways, that's really what you've done at ARC. When you took over, tell us more about that. You took over, um, noticed there were declining sales, needed a jump start in in particular. What what did you put into place to help turn around ARC? And then I'd love to know how ARC is also benefiting people as far as um, workforce skills.
1: Sure. When I started the turnaround, uh, instinctually, I put people in a room who had been bypassed for senior positions prior to me who were long-time arc managers, who sort of know the basics of the industry. I identified so- seven high-level concepts that drive our business, whether it's management or production of product or marketing or a number of areas, we agreed on those. And then uh, I told this group that I want wanted them to meet week after week and created an implementation plan to restore the success of the company. And they looked at me like, where was I going? But I knew if I stayed in the room, they would play to me. And I happen to be the guy knew the least about the day to day manager of the business. So they put together a great implementation plan to restore our success. It took about a year, but we did turn around the company. And prior to COVID, we had had 15 record years. We grew earnings from 2 million on 30 million revenue to 15 on 100 million. And we were literally midway through having $110 million a year before COVID. And so I did two things. I put in better business practices, more accountability, uh, goals, measurements. And then I also uh, put in a real emphasis on mission. And uh, our mission is to fund advocacy for people with intellectual disabilities. We fund 15 ARC advocacy programs across the state who help 10,000 individuals and families with intellectual disabilities find jobs and housing and medical services, services and schools. So I talk about that constantly in the company. And we also uh, started a program to hire people with intellectual disabilities. We're now one of the largest integrated employers of people with intellectual disabilities in the state. We've hired over 300 employees with intellectual disabilities. And they uh, just inspire us and contribute and make such a difference that our uh, other employees know they're working for more than just the paycheck. They're working to make a difference for people who are very deserving and who historically have been marginalized. Between putting in better business practices and an e- emphasis on mission, uh, it's fortunately made a real difference for this company.
0: I don't think I mentioned it at the beginning, I'm actually one of your customers.
1: Thank you very much. That, which store do you go to?
0: I go to the one on County Line in Quebec.
1: Oh sure, that's our Centennial store. Yeah, I, I wondered why you were so smartly dressed. Now I know.
0: <laughs> now you know, and very <laughs> frugal too. Why I have such a big bank account? Because I'm a smart <laughs> shopper. <laughs> yeah, we've got
1: we've got brand name clothing in all of our stores, and a lot of very successful pre- professional folks come into our stores to take advantage of that. It's very cool. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, if I my see wife you. had
1: been a Neiman's Nordstrom's person yeah. when we got married, and now she's. Uh, very excited to go into our, our that store and do what you do. Well,
0: I've raised all my kids. We all like um, the thrill of shopping and finding, <laughs> you know, a fun treasure, you know. And so we all go to that ARC thrift store quite often. I think my sa- my daughter was headed there on Saturday. Very and nice. then, of course, we donate a lot. You know, it's when Thank you, you uh, bring in a few new outfits. I got to cull the closet and donate a few outfits back and, um, you know, really just appreciate you know, it provides such an interesting service, not only to customers, but like you said, to workforce and a higher level calling as well.
1: Right.
0: But if Uh, I see you at a fancy dinner. We wondered what that
1: spike in sales was. That was probably you. It
0: was probably me. Yeah. If I see you at a fancy dinner and I've got one of uh, ARC's (laughs) outfits, I'll give you a little thumbs up. It's been known to happen. So back to economic impact. I know, Lloyd, we've talked a little bit about the economic impact of um, ARC thrift stores and what it's had on the Colorado economy and I actually found the report before you jumped on this morning um, where it it shows, again, pre-COVID, you know, a $2.3 billion impact on the economy. Tell me more about that that economic impact report. And I think that's really good for our folks to know, in particular, who listen to podcasts such as this, who represent the broad-based business community. I mean, this just isn't a little thrift store down the corner. This is huge economic impact for our state.
1: We have 31 thrift stores. We have 1,300 employees. We have a payroll in excess of $40 million. Uh, we have five and a half million customer transactions annually. And we worked with the University of Denver's uh, MBA program a year or so ago and did an economic impact study. And uh, they worked with us on identifying uh, our business revenue, our uh, program services, taxes that we pay, uh, and just a whole lot of different elements and through that study identified a 2.3 billion dollar impact on Colorado's economy during my tenure so we we are a social enterprise which is a business that creates funding to to um uh fund charitable purposes in our case advocacy for people with intellectual disabilities but we really are a business and i run it like a retail business with an emphasis on same store sales growth total revenue growth. I use EBITDA as my main metric. So I may be one of the few nonprofit guys in the entire country who looks at EBITDA to identify how much I can spend on capital improvements and funding of our charitable purposes. But again, when they looked at our business revenue, our uh, social services funding, our taxes that we pay and our capital improvements, they literally identified over a $2 billion impact during my tenure. So we're we're very proud to be a big contributor to the economy of Colorado and also to make a major difference for a very important charitable
0: purpose. And before we jump into COVID, I want to go back to something you said that you run you run your nonprofit as a business. And we've had this conversation before because if you didn't run it as a business with that mindset, you know, it probably wouldn't be around today because you have to take into effect, you know, general principles of business in order to drive the mission. So we work a lot, as you know, Colorado Business Roundtable on challenges, whether it's public policy challenges for business, um, regulatory challenges. What would you say again, don't hit on COVID yet, but what are some big challenges for you in being able to be successful in driving your mission um, as someone who understands there's still those principles of business involved, even though you're essentially a nonprofit?
1: Like any other business, you know, we have uh, challenges with increasing wages. We have challenges with increasing health care costs. We have challenges with increasing competition uh, as we identify retail spaces suitable for our business. Uh, we have, from time to time, legal issues that arise. And all in and hard is our corporate counsel. So in many ways, you know, we have very similar challenges to uh, traditional private sector businesses throughout Colorado. And, uh, you know, recently, minimum wages were increased from 8 to $12. So we assumed $3 million in increased wages over that implementation period. And we had the exciting, you know, uh, experience of increasing health care costs and working with brokers and with insurance companies to uh, identify ways that we can manage those costs uh to avoid double digit increases. We really do manage a very large business with 1300 employees with increasing wages and increasing healthcare costs and increasing uh real estate leasing costs and uh and now we have a worldwide epidemic and a recession and uh, you know we are in many ways a brick and mortar retailer
0: yeah, so this is really the challenge probably of your career, right? So this, all the other is regulatory most... issues probably pale in comparison. Now you've got to figure out what to do with a, with a brick-and-mortar retail in a global pandemic, all the other economic devastation that accompanies that. You know, What's your plan for this, ARC in the future?
1: This is a one-in-a-century event that's impacting everybody, uh, particularly you know airlines, hotels, restaurants, cruise lines, retail. You know, the partial shutdown happened on March 22nd, then the statewide shutdown the 26th. We uh, closed our stores for April. Uh, I obtained essential business designations from the state of Colorado, the city of Denver, the tri counties, counties of Broomfield, Boulder, and Jefferson County. Don't try that at home. I dealt with eight <laughs> health departments. Uh, we focused on relief. So we literally distributed over 40 tons of food to people in need and organizations in need and thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of cotton for mass production and scrubs and PPE related materials. We reopened May 1. We implemented probably 31 of the best safety practices in Colorado. Uh, We have full-time sanitation personnel in our stores. We have six-foot distancing. Our employees are masked and gloved. Uh, we abide by limited capacity constraints from the state, and we um, are currently at 80% of last year's sales, which I think in the world of brick-and-mortar retail is pretty good. And we have a plan to increase that over the next few months by fall to 90%. And then from there, hopefully this time next year, we're at pre-COVID revenue levels. But the idea was to maintain our core group of employees to restore, restart the business, to protect funding of our advocacy programs and to assure that uh, our employees are safe and our customers are safe. Uh, but it has been, you know, really the most significant challenge. You know, I lived through the stock crash of 87, the internet bubble burst, uh, September 11th, the great recession. And this one actually is the most challenging, but we are very determined and very uh, confident, very positive that, you know, we will, uh, attain our normal level of revenue. We got a $12.5 million line of credit from our bank, BOK. Uh, we have 23 million in investments and cash on hand. And, uh, intriguingly, we were too large for triple P. And then as a nonprofit, we didn't qualify for Main Street. Uh, Main Street has now qualified nonprofits, but I'm looking at the terms (laughs) and they have got like a 70% bullet payment in year five and million dollars in interest and origination fees annually. That's that's when your CFO training
0: comes in handy, right? You don't know that that's a good deal.
1: Yeah, I, I think what's helped me here is, you know, I have a pretty strong financial background and... Experience and I think I have good business instincts. But over and above, I have a personal connection to our mission and a real love of our mission. And I think all of that combined has helped as we've grown ARC and now we will survive COVID and get to the other side.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I, I appreciate the optimism and the plan you've put in place that can be inspiring for other business leaders or other nonprofit leaders as well. What would, you, what would you say to some of our co partners who might be listening? How can they be helpful to your mission or what, what would you want them to know as far as what their role could be to be helpful?
1: I um, spend a lot of time with uh, private sector company CEOs and businesses. I'm always encouraging them to hire people with intellectual disabilities who are just so fun to work with and so positive and so inspiring and love to contribute and, you know, in many ways, they're the perfect employees. And I'd love to see that kind of growth and employment of people with intellectual disabilities across businesses. People can also help by, you know, uh, supporting us in all of our programs. And uh, whether that's financial or volunteerism, we have an annual gala that we do and we have sponsorships for the annual gala and we try to emphasize fun in our annual gala. We give awards to three of our employees with intellectual disabilities. We have a very cool dance band and we just try to make it a fun event because a lot of us go to a lot of events and unless you have fun, it can be a real drag. So, <laughs> but I would say uh, the private sector in Colorado is so generous and so committed to the community and they make such a difference uh, for us and many cool nonprofits across Colorado we just can't be thankful enough.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate that, Lloyd. And it's um, it's interesting, as I've talked to other CEOs, whether it's of a nonprofit or a, a for-profit, really the combination of profits and purpose go hand in hand. And like you said, we're all in this together, especially in this kind of new normal. Appreciate you joining us today. And I'm excited to get invited to that event. And I'd love to see <laughs> Kennedy's dance You can wear for- one of
1: the outfits that you buy.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Of and we'll be sure to put this up for our partners to um, hear more about what's going on with our thrift stores. And we'll, we'll and, stick some links at there. Thank too.
1: you for what you do with the round table and the round table is very, doing such great work and making such a difference and that we all make it a stronger community and a stronger business environment benefits everybody. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's an honor to be a part of it and great to support your good work. Thank you for joining us on Colorado Business Roundtable's Profits and Purpose podcast, and we look forward to being with you again.
1: This has been a presentation of the Colorado Business Roundtable. Be sure to check out all of our episodes on Podcatchers Everywhere at cobrt.com. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom, Deaf Communications. Thank you for listening to Profits and Purpose.